0: So we're in the final week of our series. Um, We've been talking about this, not that, and we're going to wrap it up today. And kind of what we're looking at is like, what was the importance of the Bible? Like, why do we have it? Why do we read it? Because, you know, the truth of the matter is, if, if someone, a lot of people that have Bibles and call themselves followers of Jesus, but they never get into this book, if they had to try to defend it, explain it, they couldn't do it. Because they were given this book at a very young age, not understanding what it was because it was just kind of thrown. Here, you read this, it'll change your life, it'll do whatever that you need to have happen in your life will come from this book. So people are just giving out Bibles without explanations of why was this thing written? Where did it come from? Why does it have any importance in our life? And we've been covering that over the last few weeks of talking through, number one, can this book be trusted? Can it be trusted? And we found that, yeah, absolutely it can. Because... Even though you have Old Testament, a lot of people struggle with Old Testament and Old Testament law. There are some believers that would say the Old Testament doesn't even matter anymore. Let's just focus on the New Testament. But can I tell you the Old Testament is super valuable because it only points to why we even need the New Testament. It shows that these laws that were made by that that man had to make on top of the laws that God had made were just showing us our depravity. There's no way that we could ever measure up to God without him intervening and paying the price for us. And and so we looked at that the first week and saw that even the prophecies that were mentioned about Jesus from these men who wrote these scriptures at different periods of time, in different places of time, prophesying about things that didn't even exist yet, even crucifixion that did not even exist yet, but they called it exactly what was going to happen when the Messiah would come. And we looked at what the probability and statistic of that would be, of all these prophecies of Jesus fulfilling. And then in the second week, we just saw that this book, now that we know it's been trusted, that it is just not a bunch of writings that were written down, that we saw in Scripture that the the Bible is God-breathed. It is the inspiration of God. So when we read these words on this page of this Bible, it is more than just a book. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when maybe you're guilty like me, when you read a Christian book and you're Going through that book and you're reading and then it gets a little verse that sometimes you'll just skim over that verse and get to the next paragraph because I already know that verse. And we miss it because the most important words that are in somebody's book is the gospel message and the, the words of Jesus that we, because the more we read those passages, the more God wants to speak. We have to remember when we quote things and we preach things that we are preaching the very words of God that he sent for us to be inspired. And then last week we talked about all these laws. I mean, do we keep the Ten Commandments? Can I eat shrimp? Can I have barbecue? Can we wear two different things of uh, different cloth? Can we have wool and cotton on at the same time? Like what laws are we to still obey from the Old Testament? And what don't we obey? And we saw that Jesus broke it down to two things. He summarized all the law in these two things when he said, love God, love people. And that seems easy, but there's a tension trying to love people and love God at the same time. But we also saw the order that he said, you love God first, then you love people. Because there's some people that are hard to love. Some of us are hard to love at times, right? But when we can learn to love God, there's an overflow that passes on to other people. And sometimes we get that backwards. We try to attempt to love people, but we never go to love God. And when we love God, then it just automatically drifts into loving other people. And so today I want us to look at how the Bible revere's God, reveals God not just through conveying information about Him but actually when we read the Scripture it provides an opportunity to encounter Him. That it puts our hearts in a posture to receive what He wants to say to us. Because I think sometimes when we get to the point of going yes, I trust Scripture, yes, I know God gave us Scripture yes, I'm reading it, but so what? There's something supernatural that happens when we understand the purpose of this book and how we need to read and when we read. That when we sit down and open this book, it is an encounter with the living God. That even though these words were written thousands of years ago, He wants to give fresh words to this, fresh inspiration to it in your life. He wants to do. So I'm going to read a a large chunk of passage here, and then we're going to begin to break this thing down just a little bit. And and again, our goal today is to see that when we read Scripture, there is an encounter, there is something that should be happening within us when we're studying these Scriptures and reading them. So Luke chapter 24, it says that very day, starting in verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. Now, we're going to say Emmaus. If you go to Israel, do not say Emmaus. They will get very offended. It's, it's a mouse in, yeah, it's a mouse in, in Hebrew. Um, I can't make myself say that because it looks like Emmaus. And that's what probably, how many of you have been taught that's what that word means? It's always been Emmaus. Well, it's a mouse, but now it's Emmaus for us. So that's Berkeley County translation. So the two of them are going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. So just a little bit of a walk. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Imagine, these two guys are walking back home from Jerusalem. They had just encountered the whole events of the crucifixion and everything. And now they're walking back, minding their business, and this dude just kind of drops in the conversation and starts talking to them. And they don't recognize that it's Jesus. It says, Then one of them, named uh, Cleophas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what, what things are you talking about? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and to be crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company, they amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying, That they had seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive and some of those who were with us went to the tomb and they found it just as the woman had said but him they did not see and he said to them "O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory and beginning with Moses and all the prophets Jesus began interpreting to them in all of the scriptures the things that were concerning himself. Jesus was teaching them about him from the very scriptures. So they drew near to this village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them, And then their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did our hearts burn within us? Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on that road and while he opened to us the Scriptures? The story is taking place right after the resurrection of Jesus. All these followers of Jesus are in this place of just emotionally drained, They watched their teacher, their rabbi, be crucified. They put their trust in this man that he was indeed their Messiah. Now understand, this wasn't the first Messiah that the Jews thought was the one. There had been many others who had claimed that they were the Messiah and had done incredible things, but nothing to the caliber of that which Jesus had done. So for many of these Jewish people were thinking, here we go again. Another one that claimed to be Messiah. And this time, our own people had him killed. And there's this despair that has come over them. Luke is the only one of the four gospel writers who actually includes this story. Because it's a story that I think reveals something about who we are and how Jesus opens our eyes to see him, who he is, and then showing us how we can come to know him. So so put yourself in their situation for one second. This teacher that had brought this hope of the coming Messiah, the prophecies from the scriptures that they had read all their lives and been taught, is gone. These two disciples are journeying from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Jesus comes and joins them. They didn't notice him. And the reason they didn't notice him, because the Bible, did you catch that little phrase? It says that their eyes were kept from recognizing them. God didn't want them to see Jesus yet. And I, I'm going to explain that in just a second, because that's a, that's a pretty weird thing when you read it. Of why would God not want them to recognize Jesus? But when Jesus asked them what they were talking about, they almost thought that he would, like, where have you been? Like, they were astonished. Have you not been in the same city that we have been in, that all these things happen? How did you miss the fact In the middle of all of these thousands of people, it was the talk of the town. It was the gossip. And we saw for ourselves this Messiah be beaten and ridiculed and falsely judged and proclaimed guilty when he wasn't. And we watched them drag him down this street. We watched them put him on a cross. We watched the, the nails. We heard the sounds. We felt the pain. And we watched them pull his body off this cross and in the tomb. Where were you at? Did you miss this? And Jesus to himself is thinking, I had a front row seat to this. And I'm gonna surprise you in just a minute, but I'm gonna play with this just a little bit to see what happens. Because Jesus had a, he had a purpose. This was, this was a tragic climax to a week of controversy and confrontation. And there was political intrigue that was going on. It was a constant struggle that they had battled all week. But now, after all that, there was a new twist to the story that they had learned. The one they thought was that was Messiah, that was put in a tomb, his body's missing. Add insult to injury. Not only did they take him away from us physically, now they physically took his body away from us. We thought this was the Messiah. We thought this was our hope. So Jesus' body is missing. There's no statements that have been made by the Sanhedrin. No missing persons have been put out. There were rumors of a resurrection. The gossip mill of Israel on this day was running at full speed ahead of what was going on. And people didn't know what to believe. So we have this one disciple that says, "Are, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened these past few days? And Jesus responds to him. What things? What things are you talking about? Enlighten me. Help me. You do this with your kids, don't you? Oh, tell me what you did wrong. Enlighten me. What was that loud noise? You already know what it was. And Jesus says, "Now what things?" And they begin to share how they had hoped that Jesus indeed was the Christ. They had hoped that he was the Anointed One. And and then he says, "Did, "Did you did you hear? We 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 hoped he was indeed the Christ." Here's the thing about that. These men, these disciples, they studied these scriptures. They missed the part of scripture where it said that he was going to be resurrected on the third day. They were waiting on the Messiah, but they missed the details of how that was going to work. So they're sad, upset, hopeless, because they didn't truly know the scripture. Because if they had read the scripture, they would have known. This is day three. He's not missing. He's... He's doing something around the city. Let's go find out where he is. Isn't it funny that sometimes, because I see this with churches and I see this with believers all the time, that we can be looking at Jesus but never really notice that we're looking at Jesus. And we, we miss out on what he's trying to do right in front of us because we let details of other things around us cause us to miss what he's doing right in front of us. And the sadness of all of this, the confusion of these two to that road to Emmaus is because they didn't understand the scripture the scripture which they had processed. And they had processed this scripture, all of their lives being Jewish people. And they would have known this, but they missed this detail. I'm reminded, there's a quote by a guy named Howard Hendricks that was pretty powerful that I ran across. It says, you know, you and I, we know enough to own a Bible, but not enough for the Bible to own us. We got it, but we overlooked the story. We overlook the things that Jesus is trying to tell us, and we miss him because we just don't have enough for the Bible to actually own us. We don't have enough for it to own us. These men understand, it wasn't that they didn't believe the scripture. They believed the scripture. They're practicing Jewish people. They they believed the scripture. They obviously had read because they knew there was a Messiah coming. It, It wasn't that they didn't think that God didn't write these scriptures they knew that it was from God it it was because they had just satisfied themselves with a limited understanding of the scripture I know just enough to get by and that was their attitude I know just enough and knowing just enough was not enough because they missed the biggest piece and there's a lot of people in the church that know just enough but that's not good enough and, and not like You know just enough it's not good enough because you're not going to heaven because you don't know enough. No, no. you you have Jesus in your life. He's more than enough to secure your salvation. But what scares me is we have just enough to think we're being discipled and we haven't for once even scratched discipleship because a bunch of knowledge is not discipleship. But we will use that term. Oh, we're discipling people. But a small group's not necessarily just discipleship. It can just be a gathering of people. And these guys have not set, and processed and had tension with these scriptures to let God work in their lives and then replicate that to other people of what God's doing. And so they begin to operate from that mindset. And a lot of times when we only know just enough, we begin to operate in situations in our life, whether good or bad, from the mindset of the things that we read and we know. And we'll go seek other people's advice before we go seek the living God in the scriptures. We'll go talk to other people without actually praying about what God wants to do in our lives. And then we'll sometimes go to other people that will not even love Jesus to get the advice of what you think I need to do in this. And this is knowing just enough to get by. Have you ever noticed that when you don't eat for a day, your body begins to scream for food, maybe just you, maybe maybe five minutes you start to scream for food. like you. They're, they're, our bodies have this process where it kind of screams for food when we're hungry. Like you know it. We've even come up with our own terminology for it, being hangry, right? And your body screams, but, but it's the same thing with Scripture. If you're not ingesting the Scripture, it can have the opposite effect on our lives. The less you read God's Word, the quieter your spirit begins to become and it will slowly go away. You ever notice that when you're going through times and you're busy, the first thing that go, you always, well, the first thing that goes is always your relationship with God because your spirit begins to get quiet and it's easy to ignore. And, and what happens is the less you read this word, the quieter the spirit gets. You know, physically, your physical body screams. Spiritually, it gets quiet. This is why Job said, I've treasured your words. Now think about the situation. If you know Job's life, think about what he's going through. He's lost everything, and these are the words that he's able to say in the midst of losing everything. He says, I have treasured your words more necessary than food. Job understood the importance of being nurtured by the words of God. He understood that if we walked away from it, our souls would be quiet and we would starve a spiritual anorexia. This is what these men were missing. These two men walking with Jesus, they were missing the whole point of Jesus's life. And they didn't know where to turn and they didn't know what to do. Now understand, in this story, Jesus still has not revealed himself to them. So, you're still having this conversation, they're walking with the Son of God. Maybe they're the first ones to ever walk with him on this side of the resurrection. And he takes these two disciples on this journey through the scripture. Because listen, notice this counselor Jesus right here, these people are hurting and he takes them to the scriptures do you get that he wasn't giving them advice he was taking them to the scripture and let them working out what they were feeling inside through the scriptures to create that tension and he says that he began in the book of genesis so let's go for the very beginning i'm going to tell you what your problem is and he walks them through the book of genesis and he shows them through the entire hebrew bible he begins to un veil this storyline of redemption of how Jesus has come to redeem everything that had happened from Genesis chapter 3 when man fell. And he begins showing them and pointing them. And what is he doing? He's pointing to himself. And they still have not recognized physically that this is Jesus. But Jesus begins telling them the story. And notice again, God's word says this, and beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scriptures, the things that were concerning himself. Could you imagine this small group that was happening right now? Like who knew the scripture better than Jesus? And better yet, what he's reading is about him. He's the answer to all of these prophecies, to all of these things. And so the disciples invite Jesus to stay. They eat a meal, but it was during this meal that Luke tells us, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. I don't know. Disappeared, ran out of the door. I don't know. But what I do know is those two men were sitting there going, oh my gosh. It was right in front of us the whole time. Why did these men all of a sudden recognize Jesus? Well, verse 30 tells us because it says at dinner, the men took some bread. Does this sound familiar? Like a Last Supper type experience? Because they heard that story too. They may not have been in that room, but they heard that story of Jesus and the bread because they knew what Judas did. And they recognized that the moment that Jesus broke the bread and they handed it, they knew. And Jesus leaves. And Jesus became alive to them in that moment. Their hope was restored in that moment. He wasn't a faded hope. His body wasn't missing from a tomb. He was sitting there in a resurrected body, just like the scriptures they read had said. Look at what he says. The response was this they said to each other, Did our hearts, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on that road? While he opened to us the scriptures. From this this passage, there's three primary purposes of scripture. The first one is this to the the primary purpose of scripture, number one, is for God to to reveal us, to, to reveal God to us to see who God is, to study his attributes and his character. And Jesus used the scriptures to reveal this truth of Jesus to these men this day, his, his redemptive plan. So let's go back to this question. Why do we think, why do we suppose that Jesus kept them from recognizing him? Because this happens a lot in the New Testament. He would heal someone, someone would get their sight restored and say, hey, shh, don't say anything. Was he worried about popularity getting out of control? What was it? He, here's my belief. There, there's a clue here because for hours they're having this conversation. The clue, I think, is in verse 25. Jesus called them foolish and he called them slow of heart to believe because their outward inability to recognize Jesus mirrored their inward unbelief. In other words, Jesus was fully intending to help them see, but the priority of Jesus' revelation, before he would open their physical eyes, he had purposed to open their heart eyes first. Their, their heart had to be open to be able to see, to receive what was going on. Don't, he didn't want them worshiping because he automatically appears and it's him. He wanted their hearts to be right. Jesus is more concerned with your holiness and your heart than he is with anything else that you do. Because that drives everything else in our lives when it's revealed. He wanted their heart eyes to be open because it was of the utmost importance that they would walk by faith and not by sight. But why do you believe Jesus? Because I was walking with him. No, why do you believe Jesus? Because that man sat down and pointed himself out in the scriptures and fulfilled all those prophecies. I saw what he did in my life. I saw what he did. Jesus knew that between his resurrection and he knew between the full establishment of his kingdom, there's going to be this thing called a church age. That's what we're in right now. His ascension was nearing. Jesus is about to leave. That meant that these two men and other witnesses are going to have to tell the story of what they witnessed in their personal lives and what they saw and witnessed in the, in the city that day. This, this is going to be a part of their testimony. Well, how did you come to know Jesus? Let me tell you how I personally met him. Because one day I was walking in sorrow and brokenness, and I felt like the world had ended. And I and Jesus encountered me right out of nowhere. And he pointed himself out in the scriptures. And my heart was open. And when my heart was open, my eyes began to see clearly what he was doing. And they began to share this story. But Jesus knew that this whole thing of being able to see his bodily presence, being able to see who he was, that wasn't going to be the same case for you and I. Because he had to go away. And so they would have to rely on his living and active word to light the path of what was going to happen. Because if we're going to have this encounter with God, and God's going to be revealed to us, it's going to come through these scriptures. And we got to do more than just enough. We got to know and recognize God at work. The second thing is this, it's to reveal God to us, but it's also for you and I to encounter God. When we sit down, with these scriptures, we have this encounter with God. See, Jesus' encounter with them was more than just a Bible study. It was more than just learning some verses and getting that gold star on the poster. It was more than that. It was an encounter. And as soon as their hearts were opened, they noticed the encounter. And Jesus didn't say anything else. When they saw him, he left. And look at the life change that happened just that one second. What happens with one second in the scriptures? What can God do with that for you? They, they had met this resurrected Jesus. They found God in an unusual place. They made this journey back and forth on this road many days, going into Jerusalem and coming back home. But they found him there in their grief on this road to home. They found Jesus. Understand that there is a difference in reading the Bible and encountering the Bible. Two different things. We read books to read books. We read the scriptures for encounter. No matter how natural the process of reading the Bible is, and no matter how natural the objects that we read are discovered, no reading and no discovery happens without a dependency on God when we read this book. To come before him and read. So there's a, there's a relationship when we read this Bible from our hearts to the pages, and God works In between that. The Bible is meant to be life-changing. You and I are to approach reading scriptures with this understanding that we're coming to encounter the living God through His living God-breathed Word today. It's the most important thing. Well, we see this, and we know that the Bible is meant for life change, and we hear people talk about life change, and we see life change, but is there any evidence that this book really does encounter Is is there any chance that reading this book really does change a person or is it just all in someone's mind? I think it's a fair question because that's what a lot of non-Christians would ask. Well, good news. There is proof that reading the Bible actually will change you. There's proof. I was reading this research by a bunch of neuroscientists that did this study on the brain and they were actually able to trace what was going on in the mind and how things were connected when people were reading certain things. And in this research, they had people reading history books, science books, um, math books, reading anything. They were reading these books. And what they found was that people were reading all these things, even religious books. They only, uh, the only one they saw that had any kind of significant change with people Then they had people reading novels, they were all hooked up on these wires. The only one that they saw was making any kind of a difference was when people were actually reading the scriptures. something was going on on the scale of their brain. Couldn't figure it out. There was newer patterns that were being made because the Bible actually says that, don't be conformed to the world, but be conformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, good Robbie, that's great neuroscience stuff. So what does that have to do with anything? There was a much, much better research project that was done on this because they, they, they were blown away. They didn't understand why that was the case. Did we just hit a flute? We got to test this. So there was another study by the Center for Bible Engagement. And I'll post this one this week because if you want to geek out and read it, you can. And if not, I'll post a video to help explain some of this stuff too. But there was a recent study done by this Bible Engagement, right? And they polled 40,000 people throughout the general population of the U.S. from eight to 80 years old. That was their their deal. The purpose was to see how people were engaging when they actually read the Scriptures because what they just saw in the other tests that they didn't even mean to, to uncover, but they found this. So what they were saying was, okay, what happens to a person's behavior when they're in the Scripture like one time a week? Now, being in Scripture one time a week could just be you sitting right here hearing Scripture reading on the screen. So what happened to the brain? There was nothing that happened. Nothing. So day two, because they want to see what happens over a four-day period, what happens to the brain. Day two, nothing happened. And so now you can imagine all these researchers got all hyped up, thought we found something, we didn't. Day three, there was kind of like a little blip on the screen. It was like, oh, wait, time out. There may be something here. What is this? Well, day four, the readings went off the chart. They couldn't even explain it. It went off, it spiked off the chart because you would think that reading the scripture, there would be a gradual build up, but there wasn't. It was flat for two days. Three days, a little bit of a bump. Then it shot up drastically. So something happened on day four. And here's what they found in the study, that being in scriptures four times a week literally affects your behavior. For example, feeling lonely drops 30%. People with anger issues, it dropped 32%. Bitterness in any kind of a relationship, marriage, relationships, kids, friends, that dropped 40%. Alcoholism dropped 57%. Here's the number one thing. People that feel, fiz- uh, they, they just feel stagnant in their relationship with Jesus. spiritually stagnant. They found that if these people are in scriptures for at least four times a week, that drops 60% that you don't feel spiritually stagnant anymore. Viewing pornography drops 61%. Now remember, we come to the scriptures, we come to an encounter with God. These things don't happen without an encounter with God. Now let's look at some positive sides. Sharing your faith, it jumps to 200% if you're in the scriptures four times. You know what, the number one issue that we're finding across the landscape of the American churches is are that people aren't sharing the gospel. Now we know why they're not sharing the gospel. They're not in the gospel to be sharing the gospel. Because if they were in it, it would up their chances of doing it by 200% because you find confidence in this word. The other issue that we find throughout the American church is discipleship is lacking, and in many churches, non-existent other than a phrase or terminology. If you're in the Bible... Four times a week, at least, discipling other people jumps 230%. Would you say that this is a pretty important book? The things don't happen unless you encounter a living God in the living scriptures. And you can't deny that. Because you can't deny what God does in your life when you read this. It's your story of what he's done for you. Third, if you didn't get those stats, i we'll put, we'll get you we'll get them to you. Third, for our hearts to burn for Him, do you hear them when they said that? Man, did our hearts not burn when He was reading the Scriptures? That was their response when He vanished. This is the purpose of the Word of God: is to cause our hearts to burn with love and tenderness towards God. When Jesus opened the Scriptures and explained them to them, their hearts began to burn. There had been to be some conviction. God began to move. They felt touched. They felt like something was happening because the Bible is meant to touch our hearts. It is meant to kindle a fire within us that drives these behaviors that we just saw to either decrease and raise the positives. The thing that these disciples had lost when they watched Jesus die on the cross was the hope for the kingdom. They, they lost because the fire had gone out of them because to them the Bible was over because they knew just enough to know enough. And so everything had gone, the passion had gone, the hope had gone, but now in this moment their hope was restored because Jesus began to teach the scriptures and their hearts were open and their eyes became open and they became aware and I can promise you that their chances went up 230% that they started sharing the gospel and discipling people in their community and restoring hope to people. The fire was not rekindled by talking to him. It says the fire was, bekindled, it was kindled when he began to talk to them. Sometimes we just need to approach the Bible in stillness and quietness and let God do the speaking. And we push ourselves to the side to listen. Look what he says in Jeremiah. When the prophet Jeremiah considered not proclaiming the words of God because he didn't want to go, he could... He said he he wanted to avoid persecution. He he was not able to, to contain these words. He says this in Jeremiah. His word is in my heart like a fire. It's burning. It's raging. It's spreading. A fire shut up in my bones. It's got to get out. Jeremiah knew that there was no way that he couldn't go share the words that he had been learning and what God had been doing in his life. He said we're to consume the Bible, not just occasionally nibbling on it. We're to consume it, to eat it, to get the spiritual nourishment out of it. That's how we're supposed to approach Scripture. And that sounds weird. Like we're supposed to eat the Word of God. How do you eat the Word of God? I, Ezra said this, for Ezra had set his, listen, his heart to study the law of the Lord, the Scriptures, and to do it and to teach his statutes and his rules in Israel. Ezra said, first, we're to study the Scriptures. If you want to eat the Word of God, the first thing, you got to study these Scriptures. We now know that it's there to reveal God to us and for us to have this encounter with God. But to eat this and to truly digest, for these things to begin taking shape, you got to study Scriptures. And we can choose for God's Word to be the priority in our lives, or we can choose for other things to be. But when we make the choice that we're going to read, even if it's for five minutes a day, God can do miraculous things in far less time than what we can do in a lifetime. Here's a, the other thing that he says in this passage. If, you, if you're going to do this and eat scripture, you study it, but you also got to live it. Because practicing these things is a whole different ballgame from just reading them and learning them and saying, okay, I know these things. The Bible is not just for us to get educational purposes. It is meant to be lived out. This is why he said, go make disciples, go don't just stay where you are. Go, James one twenty two. You probably heard this verse. He says, "Be doers of the word, not just keepers, not just hearers only." Do these things. Jesus uh, brings this up in Matthew chapter seven. He tells us that the wise builder is the one. The, the wise builder is the one who hears these words of mine and does them. We've got to be a church that is on the go that is constantly moving in that direction of where the Holy, because the Holy Spirit's moving. We have a choice. We can follow him or hang out way behind him and miss out on what he's doing. And, we, and that's, that's a comfortable country club, cruise ship type church. And that's not who we are here. We are on a mission. You know, we don't have missions because we are in mission going to Jamaica and partnering with Haiti and serving our community and water missions and that. Those are things that we do out of the overflow of our mission because our mission is to introduce people to Jesus and help make disciples. That's what our mission is. It's not to build a church. It's to disciple people. We're a mission that just happens to have a Sunday gathering. That's who we are. Because we want to study Scripture and live Scriptures. And the third thing is we have to share God's Word with people. Because we can't contain. We can share Scriptures by teaching these things to other people. One of the questions we ask in small group is, who in your life needs to hear what we just discussed today? Because I guarantee that there's somebody that's walking around your workplace and your family, in the grocery store, and wherever you are, walking around in hopelessness right now. And far more than they need your advice, they need you to point them to Scripture. This is what God's been teaching me on this. I've been there too. And this is what God's taught me from His Word. And helping them process that. Sharing what God's doing in your lives. In Colossians, Paul says this, and I'm going to close. Paul the Apostle writes in Colossians 3.16, he says, Let the Word of Christ dwell. Say that word with me. Let the Word of Christ Let it dwell in you richly in all wisdom. That word dwell means to inhabit, to take up residence. It's used in the New Testament with somebody moving into somebody's house. So the Holy Spirit moving into us. Let it take up residence. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you. Let it live in you. And the word richly means this. The large amount with the implication of being valuable you're putting a valuable thing in your life to steer it in wisdom. When we look at this word and we read it and we see it's valuable, we see it's valuable and we're letting it dwell in our hearts, that is life changing. Well, Robbie, I read the Bible and it's not doing anything. Change your approach of going, saying the Holy Spirit is going to speak to me through whatever I read. Not how much I read, it may be one word that He's going to throw your life in the right direction. That he's going to make you more like Jesus with just one thing. Listen, it's not about how much you read. It's about the quality of what you read. Because, again, God can do things with an entire book, and he can do just as much with one word. But he has a word for you. And before it can change other people, it has to change you. Because I can't believe it, if you're telling me about this gospel, that your life doesn't even add up to. I want us to be a church of the New Testament, that everything they did went here first. Business meetings, we'll have business meetings, but you can put it to debate that we're gonna pray more than we're gonna discuss the decision. If we're gonna spend 15 minutes talking about a decision, we're gonna spend fifteen minutes praying the Holy Spirit what that decision is. Because Jesus runs this church and always will. And we're just vessels in his hand. And this is what this is what we build everything on. If you didn't get anything out of the last four weeks, get this. There is an encounter right here. This is more than a book. This is the living word of God. And he wants to do something through you this, through this book today in your life. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for entrusting us with your word. I just pray today that we would open our hearts to, to just be ready to receive what it is that you're trying to work because God, there's probably some conviction in the room right now. I'm even even feeling some conviction too, God. I just want to respond to that. I want our people to respond to that. That their hearts would be drawn to study the scripture because that's the word that you've given us to live this life in the way that you've asked us to live it. And I just pray you'd give us the courage just to, to open that book, to make it priority just to hear what it is that you're trying to speak. And I thank you for what you're going to do in this place in these next few moments. We pray these things in your name. Amen.